Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Hear the call to confession from Hebrews chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Thus far the reading of God's word. It's important to know as we come and prepare to confess our sins that God is ready to forgive us as we prepare to confess. God is eager for us to know that he is listening with his fatherly favor. We ought to come with some fear and trembling, of course, having sinned against our holy God. And yet, he wants to put that away and receive us and have us receive his love and favor. Daniel chapter 7. I'll read the first 14 verses. The key text is verses 13 and 14. Put some context in the first few verses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks once again for giving us your word. It is precious to us, sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb more valuable than gold. Lord, help us to esteem it as such once again as we hear it read and proclaimed. For it not only delights us, but it sustains us. Lord, sustain us by your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Daniel 7, the first 14 verses. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon... Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. 
I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." The grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. So usually on Ascension Day, we look at Acts 1, the account of the Ascension itself. And we'll look there some today. And we want to start in verse 3 of Acts 1, which mentions 40 days. It's been 43 days now since Easter. And Ascension Day was this past Thursday, the 40th day after the resurrection. Acts 1 gives us the ascension as seen from earth. The interesting thing is that Daniel 7 gives us the ascension as seen from heaven. The same event from two different perspectives. So we see here in Daniel 7, Jesus, the Son of Man, ascending to his Father, and he's being given all authority and rule replacing the reign of the beasts. That's the basic summary. A little bit of context here. You see those beasts in the first eight verses. Uh, Those are, uh, I understand, to be historical empires, such as Babylon, uh, Greece, and Rome, that uh, devoured uh, God's people and conquered uh, much land and and, uh, wiped out people. And that's what's described there, like a beast devouring. Then you have the contrast in verse 9 and 10 of the majesty of the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days in verse 9 is God the Father. The white of his clothing and hair is the purity of the Father, his wisdom. The flaming fire in his many angels depicts his power. And the cord and the book show forth his judgment. The Father is the judge. And in purity and in wisdom, he can sort out the good from the bad perfectly. In power, he can enforce his judgments. That's what we see there in verses 9 and 10. It's interesting that that description John borrows in Revelation chapter 1, I believe, to describe Jesus. When John sees Jesus in Revelation 1, you have a lot of the same descriptions. Uh, It's almost as if John is saying, hey, like father, like son. The Son, too, is 
um, pure and wise and has been given power. So there you have the majesty of the Ancient of Days in verses 9 and 10. And then in verse 11 and 12, you have the, the defeat of the beasts. All these beasts that have been described, we've seen them before in Daniel quite a bit. Daniel's big on beasts. Remember Daniel 4, uh, the king uh, of Babylon himself becomes a beast. And that's an interesting uh, contrast with what's going on here. In Daniel 6, the famous story of Daniel in the lion's den, the beasts almost destroy Daniel. And at the beginning of chapter 7, which we read, you have four beasts that are four kingdoms. Now the Son of Man comes, verses 13 and 14, and he's contrasted with all these beasts. He's something different entirely. Man was made to rule the beasts in the beginning. And this finally comes true fully in Jesus Christ. Each of these beasts has power for a time, but when Jesus ascends to the Father, it is taken from them. And ultimate dominion is given to the Son of Man. Now the lives of the beasts, at the end of verse 12 we see, are prolonged, uh, but their dominion is taken away. That made me think, I didn't think to write down the reference, somewhere in Deuteronomy, when God is talking to Israel just before they enter the promised land, it says, God says to Israel, I'm going to drive out uh, the people a little by little, not all at once. Because if I did it all at once, then, then all the wild beasts would take over. It's an interesting thing that God says. I'm going to drive them out little by little uh, so that the beasts don't get you. Uh, so here you have the defeat of the beasts in verses 11 and 12. Now verses 13 and 14 are the key. Uh, here's the ascension of the sun. Uh, in, with the clouds of heaven, there comes one like a son of man. And this is why I get so emotional when I read that gospel reading about Jesus uh, in, in front of the Sanhedrin. He's, it's the, the height of his height. It's the depth of his humiliation before the cross. The, the high priest, the leader, the representatives of God's people uh, are condemning Jesus. And his response at first is silence. But he also says, he quotes almost directly this verse. And he calls himself the Son of Man. He says, you're going to see me ascending, going up on the clouds of heaven, sitting by the power, capital P. It's a reference to the Ancient of Days. Jesus is saying, I am this Son of Man. It's astounding. As they're accusing him, condemning him for blasphemy, he's doubling down and saying, that's me. And as he's being condemned, about to be led away to be scourged and crucified, Jesus is thinking about his ascension. Going back to the Father. It's amazing. That word, Son of Man, that phrase, appears almost nowhere else in the Old Testament. There's one or two other places. In Ezekiel, it's kind of a prophetic title. And Jesus uses it for himself about 80 times in the Gospels. It's the, it's the most common uh, title Jesus gives to himself, Son of Man. And he's talking either about himself as prophet, like Ezekiel, or as the ascended one, here in Daniel chapter 7. So, the Son of Man is brought near the Father. He is given a kingdom, verse 14. 
given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all nations should serve him. This is why we sing Psalm 2 on Ascension Sunday. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. And that's uh, what we see being done here. So uh, that's Daniel 7, and uh, from here on, what I, I have what you might call a laundry list kind of sermon. I have uh, some things on ascension, and then some things on the reign of Christ. And I'm not going to just pick one of these and develop it uh, in depth. I'm just going to list for you several things that ascension is or means. Uh, we see it in the Heidelberg Catechism as well. That's a great summary uh, that you can look over again this afternoon. But here's seven things on the ascension first. Number one, the ascension is about Jesus visibly and physically going up. This is no metaphor, right? Uh, it, it's, it says he was taken up from them. They're gazing up into the clouds, into the sky. Kids, if you have the coloring page, you see that on the coloring page today. That he's literally levitating, going up high above them into the cloud. So it's a physical thing. Now, of course, we know that there's, there's some translation into the spiritual there because we know that heaven isn't literally physically up, right? There, at some point, there's a, okay, now he's in heaven. <laughs> Not just physically going up, but the physically going up part is an important piece of what's going on. So, uh, ascension is Jesus visibly going up. Two, ascension is proof of his divinity, and we see this in several of the Psalms uh, refer to the, the ascension of God. Uh, Psalm 68, verse 18 is a good example. Uh, it says this, You, and the you means Yahweh, the God of Israel. You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. And Paul in Ephesians 4 quotes that and applies it to Jesus. Right? So Yahweh has ascended on high. Now, after the apostles see Jesus go up into heaven, they realize, oh, th this, this verse was talking about Jesus. Jesus is the God of Israel. So it's proof of his divinity. Same thing with that uh, incident with, in the, at the trial. Uh, when Jesus says uh, that I'm the son of man coming with clouds, well, what human being can control the clouds? Who can walk on the waves of the sea? Only one who is of divine origin. So the ascension is part of the proof of Jesus' divinity. That's the second thing. Third, the ascension was predicted by Jesus. If you think back to John 14, uh, famous uh, verses of comfort that we hear at, often at funerals, right? Uh, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. That's a prediction of ascension. Jesus is going back to heaven. He's going back to glory. And uh, much of Scripture in the New Testament, if you want to jot some of this down, much of the New Testament um, meditates on this. Ephesians 4, 8, Philippians 2, 9, Acts 2, 32. All of these Scriptures uh, reference the ascension of Jesus, him going back up to heaven. It's predicted by Jesus as it's explained in the New Testament. So that's the first three. Uh, number four, the ascension restores Christ's glory. Uh, I like this one, John 17, the high priestly prayer. One of the first things Jesus prays for in the high priestly prayer is in verse five. Now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself 
with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He's asking for the glory that he had with the Father before the incarnation to be restored. And it is. Again, note that right before the cross, not just in front of the high priest at trial, but when he's praying to the Father in the high priestly prayer, John 17, both times, right before the cross, Jesus is thinking of the ascension, of his return to heaven. Now, there's some serious, deep application there for us. If we take a moment to think about that, when you are facing suffering, as Jesus faced trouble, as he faced condemnation, being hauled up in court, when Jesus faces physical agony on the cross for us, when you're facing such distress and trouble, one helpful thing can be what Jesus does is to focus on the coming glory on the other side of the suffering. It's not going to be all suffering only all the time. After the humiliation comes the exaltation. After the cross comes the crown. God promises that. And Jesus is thinking about it right before the cross. For the joy set before him, Hebrews 12, he endured the cross. So the ascension restores Christ's glory. That's number four, I think. Number five, uh, the ascension is accession. I had to throw this one in just because of the coronation of Charles recently. That's not the only reason why. But it is something to think about, right? Uh, Accession is when you take the throne. You take power, you sit on the throne, and everyone acknowledges uh, that that is the case. I was struck when I was uh, watching the coronation how many times that was um, made to be said. Without doubt, this is your king. Without doubt, with no objections, with no reservations, this is your king. And he sits down, and he's anointed with the holy oil, etc. Dominion is given to him. Now, if you... If you filter out all of the inane commentary from the modern secularists at that coronation, the ceremony really is quite meaningful. It's not that many believe it anymore, but, but there's much in there that points to, that is an, a pale echo of, that Jesus Christ being crowned king. You know, we're very well aware of the faults of, of Charles and of his family. What, what if we had a perfect, all-powerful king? It's not a rhetorical question. So Jesus accedes to the throne. His reign has begun. Number six, the ascension exalts human nature. It begins a new kind of reign of Christ. We see that in the catechism. Um, Where is it? Question 49. uh, This is the second part of the answer. We have our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Christ our head will also take us up to himself. So it's a sign of what's coming for us. Again, it makes me think of John 14. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's Christ's mission right now is to get that place ready and to bring us to himself. 
So uh, human nature uh, is uh, seated at the right hand of God the Father uh, as a sign that we too uh, will be seated with Christ. And lastly, the ascension means available intercession. And we read this in uh, Romans 8.34, right? The great, uh, great verse, I'm going to actually page over and read it again, uh, that we read in the assurance of pardon. If, uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who, who is going to condemn us? Christ is the one who died for us. And more than that, he was raised, and he's now at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. That's, it's wonderful. This is not just passing on our requests, by the way, but it's sitting next to God, asking the Father for what we need. It's right before the crucifixion again. It's Jesus telling Peter how he has prayed for him. Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. (laughs) Peter probably thought he didn't need such a prayer. I'll never leave you. Let's not be like that. We need the prayers of our Redeemer, our priest. One other instance of that that we ought to think about is um, in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen is stoned. Uh, There you have, again, a beast killing on earth. But Stephen looks up to heaven and he sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's exactly what he says. Why standing? I thought Jesus was sitting at the right hand of God. Some make a big deal of that. I think there's something to it. Either Jesus is receiving Stephen, he's defending or honoring his martyrdom. Maybe there's indignation there at the beast that's mauling his people. Jesus is interceding. Stephen sees that intercession happening. So those are seven things uh, on the the ascension of Christ. Now I wanted to mention also, a bit quicker here, the reign of of Christ. Uh, Because accession leads to reign. Uh, So Jesus now is ruling his people. So, a few things about that. First of all, this means that Jesus walks among us. Revelation 2, uh, when when we see the the seven churches, uh, Revelation 1, I guess, actually, we see the Son of Man walking among the lampstands. Those lampstands are the churches. Jesus is walking among his people. It uh, always makes me think of the Shakespeare play, Henry V, the night before the the great battle on St. Crispin's Day. Uh, You get uh, Henry V walking amongst his men, the royal captain of this ruined band, walking from watch to watch, tent to tent. But forth he goes and visits all his host, bids them good morrow with a modest smile, and calls them brothers, friends, and countrymen. Jesus walks among us as he rules us. Some Sundays, I don't, this doesn't, come into my imagination a lot or all the time, but some Sundays when we're praying here or singing or preaching, I imagine Jesus in his spirit walking up and down the center aisle. He's walking amongst us. 
when the deacons bring our offerings up and put them on the table and then come up and pray. That's Jesus bringing your prayers and your gifts to the Father. When the elders bring the bread and the wine to you, that's Jesus walking among you. The reign of Christ means Jesus walks among us. Second, he rides into battle with us. Revelation 19.11 won't spend too much time on that, but Heidelberg 51 gives it to us again. By his power, he defends us and preserves us from all enemies. So the reign of Christ involves uh, defense, uh, keeping uh, some amount of... He's the source of spiritual warfare that we must engage in. That's second. Third, he is sitting to rule. Uh, Psalm 110 is an important uh, uh, Ascension Day psalm we haven't uh, gotten to yet. But Psalm 110, that uh, the Father tells the Son, come up here and sit at my right hand. (laughs) He sits to rule. That's the third one. Fourth, uh, the reign of Christ continues until the consummation. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 says that Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And then he delivers the kingdom to the Father. Next, the reign of Christ is in the church by word and discipleship. So Christ rules his church by giving us this. This is the charter of the covenant. This is the way by which he uh, regulates, rules us. Christ shapes our hearts and our minds. He shapes cultures. But his reign is not limited just to the church. It's total. The, the, the rule of Christ is over all things. Matthew 28, it's right in the Great Commission of all places. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's amazing how controversial that still is, given how clear that is. Or put it in 1 Peter 3, what he says there, 1 Peter 3, verse 22. Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Uh, Take uh, Abraham Kuyper's way of putting it. There's not one square inch of this universe over which Jesus does not say, mine. The reign of Christ is total. Next, the reign of Christ is not connected to the state in the same way as it was in Israel. Uh, We're called to submit to the powers that exist, Instead of kings ordained directly by prophets of God, uh, now we start with discipling the nations and praying that discipleship will permeate every area of life, including our politics. And as nations are brought to Christ, their kings ought to apply God's word to their policies. And where they don't, we submit to them wherever we can, and we work for godly and just rules and rulers. Kings are accountable to Christ for how they rule because he is ascended to a throne above them all. He is literally the king of all kings. So Christ rules the state differently than the church, and he may allow the beast to live on in both, but that doesn't mean Christ is not on the throne, ruling over all. His reign is total. A couple more things before I quit. The reign of Christ is a good plan. He's not frustrated by the beast. Everything is going according to plan. The the, the providence of God is never um, outwitted by any beast. This is hard for us to keep in mind when the beast is devouring us. 
but it's still the case. God rules in history. It's a key theme of Daniel. Even amidst the cultural captivity of the church, which we often find ourselves in, God lets beasts rise and rule for a time. Why? We don't really know. For the same reason that he lets Adam and Eve sin in the garden. It's a mystery to us. Why not prevent blasphemy and despising of God and stoning of Stephen and injustice in, in, in our own families? We don't know. Somehow, some way, this brings more glory to God in the end. And that's what we want. Sometimes I have a pastor, mentor, friend who likes to say that what we need to learn to pray is, God, do whatever it takes to sanctify me, to bring glory to yourself. Do whatever it takes. And that's a scary prayer to pray. Because God will sometimes bring some pretty intense suffering into our lives. But we still want to pray that prayer. Do whatever it takes. It's a good plan. God's reign. Just one more and I'm done. The reign of Christ needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be proclaimed. We saw that, I think, at the last verse of the hymn we just sang. Lovely way to, to put things together. After we sing the account of Acts 1 and the ascension, the last verse then turns to Ephesians 4 and says God is uh, sending out his heralds now that this reign has taken place, this ascension. It's really astounding just to know some of the history. Just before the time of Christ, the Roman Caesars began claiming divinity. And one way they began to do that early on was at the death of the last emperor, the new Caesar would send out messengers, witnesses, heralds, who would proclaim throughout the empire, I was there when Caesar died, and I saw his spirit ascend to the gods. He truly is a son of the gods. That's literally the history. Think of that. Sometimes we think the scripture was written in a historical vacuum. It was written to attack that idea and take it over. Because the Caesars aren't really sons of God. They were a copy, a fake. But they were actually getting the form right. The apostles did see Jesus ascend to heaven. They did see him uh, as the son of God. And they're proclaiming it. it. It would take a whole other sermon to unpack, but think of the Roman centurion at the cross. Truly, this was the son of God. Jesus says, you shall be my witnesses. In the same chapter. We are the king's heralds. We're called to announce to the world the reality of the reign of Christ. His rule, his ascension to David's throne at the right hand of the Father. We may get dismayed at how things go culturally or politically, but never forget who is on the throne. He allows the beast to live for a time, but his time is short. His power is limited. Don't let that dismay you to the point that you do not proclaim the reign of Christ in your life and in the world. 
I'll close as I sometimes do with a Lord of the Rings illustration. It's like Frodo tells uh, Saruman's lackeys in the Shire at the very end of the book. He says, I see you're behind the times and the news here. Much has happened since you left the South. Your day is over, and all ruffians. The dark tower has fallen, and there is a king in Gondor. Isengard has been destroyed, and your precious master is a beggar in the wilderness. I passed him on the road. The king's messengers will ride up the greenway now, not bullies from Isengard. You see what he's doing? He's proclaiming the reign of the king. Jesus, the Son of Man, ascends to the Father. He's given all authority and rule. He replaces the reign of the beasts. This is the good news of the gospel. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have shown us your Son in so many different ways. You've shown us his compassion, his person being a full uh, human being like us, his being without sin. You've shown us his humility, his humiliation, his suffering, his obedience to you, the sacrifice that he made, the conquering of death that he accomplishes on Resurrection Day, that you show us also his exaltation to your right hand, his glorious kingship. You have placed the crown upon his head, given him the name above every name, Lord, we are so privileged to be named as one of his people. Help us to worship and to live for our King. in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Thus far the reading of God's word. That's an astounding verse. We've not only been raised with Christ, given new life, we've been seated with him at the right hand of the Father seated together with Christ at that most exalted place. We died with Christ, we came alive in him, we ascended with him, we're seated with him. Now, what, then we turn and think about what is happening here at this table. One thing I like to do on Ascension Day is to think about that because, well, you'll see why in a minute. There's generally four streams of thought about what's going on here. Many Protestants think that what's happening here is in our thoughts only. We are simply remembering what happened to Jesus. Zwingli was the forebear uh, of that stream of thought. 
It's a mental thing that's happening. This, the, 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 what, what we do here are mental uh, aids. And really everything is, uh, is an idea and, and a mind uh, exercise. We don't buy that. We think there's more going on. On the other end of the spectrum, you can talk about Rome. Rome thinks that the bread and the wine are physically becoming Jesus. That's not right either. Or you can think about Martin Luther. He said the human nature of Jesus is somehow everywhere. And especially here around the bread and the wine. The humanity, the body of Jesus is somehow here. We don't think that's right either. Calvin had an interesting solution to this. He said, by the Spirit, when we commune here at this table, by the Spirit we ascend to heaven spiritually and commune with the body of Christ there, which seems like the most odd solution ever until you read again Ephesians 2, verse 6. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Every Sunday when we gather to worship, we are caught up into the heavenlies, as scripture puts it, by the Spirit, and we commune with Christ there. So come, for all things are now ready. The body of Christ broken for you. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.